Welcome back to the Hawk Zone podcast for a look into KU athletics. My name is Matt Galloway. I am the KU beat reporter for the Topeka Capital Journal and HawkZone.com. We have played, well, we didn't actually play, obviously, but we have witnessed the final game of the season for the Jayhawks at Allen Fieldhouse. Three seniors sent off in a big comeback win. We're going to we're going to cover it and talk all about it on this week's episode. But uh, I got to introduce my co-host, Scott Chasen, the student correspondent for the Topeka Capital Journal. Scott, how are you doing? Well, I'm really, really mixing it up there with the long intro before the question. But I'm well. Almost almost didn't make it on this podcast just because uh, I was going through Snapchat stories. And on Anna Kendrick, she's playing with a puppy. And it's like a, a small puppy doing tricks, which now I'm just kind of wondering if all puppies are like scams and that they can do tricks from birth. But um, yeah, while I, while I was pondering that, then you called and boom, it's podcast time. That's exactly how this happened. I can confirm. I'm the one that insisted that Scott put the phone down. Stop watching dog videos. Put the, 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 there's, there's time and a place for dog videos and there's a time and a place for Anna Kendrick videos, mostly just watching Pitch Perfect. But there's also a time and a place for podcasting, and that's what we're going to do right now. <laughs> KU managed to finish the season with only one loss at Allen Fieldhouse. They had a number of close calls, the latest against Oklahoma, the last place Sooners, without their best player, Jordan Woodard. Uh, senior night, uh, KU entered the game having won 32 straight senior night games, and I believe 33 straight home finales. There was one year, I think, 07 maybe, somewhere in there where they didn't have any seniors. Um, but they were able to overcome a 12-point deficit with less than 10 minutes to go by hitting 10 consecutive shots. Devontae Graham had three three-pointers in the stretch. It was really remarkable. I mean, just when you – I don't know how you feel. There have been some games this year, like West Virginia when they got down by 14, uh, and then at, at Baylor when they got down by six with about two minutes left. I think you, at the time when we were in Waco, said that you kind of felt that they were more likely to come back against – West Virginia than they were against Baylor. I just think that the West Virginia comeback was so historic Mm -hmm. uh, that I can't really argue that I felt that anything was more improbable than that. I did think that this team was dead to rights with about 10 minutes left. Before they went on that 10 for 10 streak, they were shooting 35.1% from the field. They uh, were 13 for 37 shooting. They had, I think they were outscored on second chance points, like 11 to zero. Uh, Carlton Bragg was giving them nothing off of the bench. He he had a pretty uh, remarkable failed dunk attempt. Uh, it just it didn't look like the Jayhawks' night, and it looked like the emotions of senior night were getting the best of them. But like I said, they ended up going on that ten for ten stretch, and that to me was one of the uh, best Allen Fieldhouse mm-hmm. memories I can remember from covering them. I know I've only been on the beat for about a year plus, but. I can't remember ever seeing a team hit 10 consecutive shots. I'm sure somebody will point out that I've seen it before, but these weren't all layups. I mean, there were mm-hmm. there were jumpers, there were hook shots, there were threes, as we mentioned. I think LeGerald Vick sprinkled in a couple of threes during that stretch. It was truly crazy. Scott, um, I'm going to get to a big question here in a second, but before we do, what, what was your overall impression of that game? Well, I, I am in 100% agreement with you. I even sent you a text that it's going to be really awkward when they lose on senior night and then, you know, they have to go through the senior speeches. I thought, you know, it, it was kind of remarkable the way that spurt happened because normally we at least have seen signs of life from Kansas before that. They're not shooting, you know, they don't put up 24 or whatever they did in the first half. They don't look, you know, absolutely just, just 
wanting for anyone to take over. But, you know, in this case, Frank Mason, it's a shot. I think they turn it over on the next possession. And then you mentioned it, that 10 for 10 stretch just kind of exploded out of nowhere. And it was funny. I was I was sitting in front of a bunch of NBA personnel. You graciously uh, gave up your seat for my senior night, too. Let's not forget the most important uh, senior who was in attendance myself, obviously. And I'm dead serious. Um, but, no, I was sitting in front of these guys. And they, it was funny because they were all, like, taking video of the crowd and, and the run. And they were all kind of talking about it. And it was it's just interesting to overhear, like, they could they could sense this tangible feeling that this game was starting to turn, and I think that's what everyone else started to feel about a few shots into that run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they played the same, I think my favorite thing about the whole the whole uh, comeback was they played the same techno song, <laughs> I think three times during uh, inopportune Oklahoma timeouts. The Jayhawk pressure really worked really well. Uh, they forced Oklahoma to burn their last three timeouts during the stretch a couple times on inbounds. I think one, one and the guy was locked in the backcourt. They got a turnover on an inbounds and kicked it out to Vic who had a three uh, really just Oklahoma mm-hmm. looked totally rattled. And, and it kind of reminded me of Virginia or West Virginia uh, totally rattled down the stretch. You could see Oklahoma's youth and inexperience. I was, I will tell you, I don't think I was ever stunned more by a score than when KU was down by 12 at home with 10 minutes left to the last place, Oklahoma Sooners. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to ask you a question here. I mean, Oklahoma, give them credit. They, they're young, they're talent, they've got some talent, but like we mentioned, they're missing their best player, and it's not like they lit the world on fire in the first half. They shot, I believe, 25% from the field, but we saw KU's bugaboos from earlier in the season really catch up to them in the first half. They missed seven free throws. They gave up a ton of second chance points. And for the game, they lost second chance points 15 to three. Uh, I got to ask you, if you're a KU fan, I mean, they've had seven double digit comebacks since December 30th and a couple of nine point comebacks too, by the way. Are you encouraged that they keep coming back? Or are you concerned that they even got down 12 in the first place to last place Oklahoma? Well, I, I'm going to split up your question here because I, I don't think this individual instance is, is super surprising. If you look at their last three senior nights, uh, they've all been tremendously close games, including that one against West Virginia two years ago that, you know, they should have lost that game. They were down by seven with just over a minute to play. Iowa State last year, I believe Iowa State was ranked at the time, but it was a close game too. So individually, but those go, go ahead. Teams, though. Yeah, I mean, well, it, in, but I'm saying individually, you change up your routine, you start Tyler Self, not that you know, he was a disaster in the game, you know, but I, I do think it's, it's somewhat, it's a different energy and maybe something like that. But I will say, uh, all, all the comebacks and things that have happened before that, I, I would argue that is, is the most concerning thing of anyone that no team in the big 12, you know, the big 12 by far has been maybe if you don't want to call it the best league in the, in the country, certainly the top of the big 12 is not as good as say the top of the pac 12. Uh, but it's certainly the most competitive league in the country and top to bottom. There's great teams until you get to like Oklahoma basically. So I, I get the cause for maybe a little concern, but I don't think you can be too concerned by this game. I would be more concerned by kind of the pattern that's shown itself that Kansas really hasn't had any any you know major blowouts where they've gotten to rest guys it feels like since uh, maybe they won by like 30 against Long Beach State I, they won you know against UNLV by a bunch I, you know those really feel like maybe a game against Tech the, those feel like the last big blowouts yeah but I mean they they had a couple of big blowouts just their last two games I mean maybe not massive blowouts but they beat Texas by Te- close Texas to 20 be- 
Well, they beat Texas by close to 20, and, and their previous game before that, I don't totally remember off the top of my head who that was, but they, they won that game by, by 19, I think. And uh, yeah, Bill yeah. Silva's up. But still, my point is Frank Mason and Devontae Graham still played, I think, 39 minutes apiece against Texas. Well, like, the t- they're not, the TC- even when they're winning these games by big scores, they're not resting these guys. The, the TCU game, you got a good point. The Texas game was pretty close through and through just because no one was scoring. You know, I think it ended a 10-point margin. But uh, the TCU game was certainly a blowout. You're right. I, I slipped on that one. But, you know, just looking before that, the margins are two-point game, overtime, one-point game, three-point game, overtime, five-point game, six-point game, and a loss then before that. It's just it, – it's a lot of close on the schedule. And, you know, at, at some point you would expect there to be that kind of dominant stretch, especially going into the tournament. But maybe it's just because guys are playing so many minutes and, you know, you see like the defense can look amazing for a five-minute stretch because – uh, you know, they don't want to gas themselves. Maybe that's a factor. Uh, I don't know. There could be a number of different reasons. But I, I agree that, again, I agree it's concerning. I, I definitely think there are there are some concerns. And, you know, how disastrous, by the way, that they could have lost. This kind of went un- unnoticed. But there was a, a pretty big recruit attendance making an unofficial visit. Did you hear about this? No, who's that? Is this, well, is this a setup to a joke? It is. It's uh, class of 2029, uh, unofficial. I think he's going to be a point guard, Amari Mason. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He, I've he heard was, about him. He was making his unofficial visit. Uh, I believe he's five. And, uh, yeah, almost saw a loss. So that could have that could have hurt the recruitment of the uh, the five-year-old son of Frank. He's five what? Five eleven? Yeah, he'll, five, he'll, be, five, he'll be there. He's listed at five eleven, but he'll grow into it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to take the question that I asked. I'm going to say that I think it's a little bit of both. I think you obviously would rather have these these comebacks and these victories than than have them be losses. I'm not going to use the word magic. I don't believe in magic, but I do think that the team is a little bit charmed at this point. <laughs> and Bill Self after the West Virginia, what are those synonyms? Is that what you're laughing? I don't know. I, I agree like so much with this. They, they're absolutely charmed. I, they're they're it's, very it's charmed. Incredible. <laughs> and they, they can score in bursts. We saw that when I asked Bill Self, you know, what does that 10 for 10 stretch tell you about your team? He kind of answered, well, it, I mean, it, I kind of look at the previous 30 minutes and it tells, tells me that we can play like trash. Basically I'm paraphrasing him, but um, (laughs) he said, you know, we've always known that this team can score in bursts and we can, we've seen that, but I just, I'm, I'm, if I'm a KU fan, I'm thinking that the offense has not really looked as sharp as it did at the beginning of big 12 play, even earlier than that. And you have to wonder if the minutes are a factor in that. I'm not going to declaratively say that that's the case because bill self has been very adamant about the way he's, he's changing practices. I'm going to say that you also though, if you're a KU fan, you have to be a little bit worried that they've even got down by 12 to Oklahoma in the first place at home. I don't think that that's something that last year's team would have ever done. We saw a number of close calls at home, whether it's Baylor, whether it was Oklahoma state, Earlier on, whether it was K-State, I mean, Dean Wade had a three attempts that would have uh, given K-State the win, and that would have probably changed the trajectory of their season. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's been every game. I mean, even, I again, they were not going to lose this game, but take that TCU game you mentioned where KU, you know, obviously wins by 19. That was a two-point game, 25 minutes into the game. We're in the second half. It's a two-point game. It's a four-point game, you know, a couple minutes after that. So, no, KU is not, uh, KU is not at all really done the the formula for this team is so different than other bill self teams that it's kind of staggering because there there have been a lot of teams I, I feel like like kansas they've even gotten out to a big lead and then that's kind of weathered away to maybe like 10 or 12 then they've had this pull away stretch all these formulas they, this year 
to me, maybe you disagree. I'll ask you this. It feels very simple. It's like Kansas is in like a two point margin going into the half. And then, you know, you get to the first TV timeout and you start looking around like, um, is this happening? And then there's that one lethal stretch that just kind of ends thing. And right. And the, the biggest thing for me is they shot so poorly against Oklahoma. I just never thought that that was going to come. I mean, yeah. And the Sooners had such a great start. I think they started on a 19 to nine run in the start of the second half to take the, to take the 10 point lead. Um, I, I do have to say though, that it does, I don't know how you feel about this. I do think it does reflect though, a certain toughness of a team. Bill self, before he introduced his seniors, this was the lead to my story on hawkzone.com. He grabbed the mic and he, he admitted that the team had sleepwalked for 32 uh, minutes and then they finally woke up. He said, quote, but you guys saw what the kids can do when their backs are against the wall. We may not play the best, but there's no team tougher than the University of Kansas. We know how much toughness means to Bill Self. And I think, you know, showing that they can come back from these deficits, it's huge. And, and they did it this time without free throws, truly. I mean, they didn't have a single free throw in that 10 for 10 stretch to, uh, finally take a 67 to 60 lead before it ended so they've shown different varieties of ways that they can make these comebacks happen i think against west virginia it was a lot more free throw aided um than at least this one was i would have to say that you have to be encouraged that they keep coming back but i think that you know there's going to be a lot of nervous ku fans i think because you know i i they've taken care of business they've done what they've needed to do they're 27 and 3 they're 15 and 2 in big 12 play i think if you gave that number to any ku fan before the beginning of the season they would have signed up for that in a heartbeat and two of their losses you know as you've pointed out in the past they were games that could have gone ku's way mm-hmm. as much as we talk about the close ones that have gone against mm-hmm. them it took it took i pointed this out on twitter it took a record amount of threes uh, or a season high amount of threes from indiana and a record amount of threes from from iowa state to beat KU in two out of their three losses. Yeah, no, KU is twenty-seven and one. KU's twenty-seven and one this year when their opponent doesn't shoot a historic amount of threes. Twenty-seven and one when basically a historic number of shots from the on the arc go in. Right. So that should be encouraging. But I am saying KU has positioned themselves to be the number one overall seed and to go into the tournament with the Tulsa Kansas City two step before going to the Final Four potentially. But I don't know how you feel about this. But if I'm a KU fan, I'm feeling more worried about this team playing an eight or a nine, obviously it depends on who it is, than I would have last year. I think they played UConn maybe in the second game. Yeah. I just feel like this team plays down to their competition more than last year's team. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way about this team. Mm-hmm. They always have to find a way to come through. I just think that I would highly expect a game against an eight or a nine to be kind of five or four or five point game with a few minutes left. You know, it's just the trend I've seen. Maybe it's, yeah. maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I don't see the level of separation between them and kind of a, uh, you know, upper mid level NCAA team that I saw from last year's team. Well, if, if they're going to make that run, it's going to be the exact path that, you know, that 2012 team followed, which is, you know, they, they kind of eke it out the first game, but they pull away. The second game's a little too close for comfort. Third game's a little too close for comfort. Fourth game going into the half, it's tight. Fifth game comes down to the wire, and then you have the national championship game. So, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I had a point to make, but I forgot it, so I'll leave it at that. Well, I'll make a point. <laughs> Maybe it's time for some of the close game mojo to finally go KU's way in the tournament. I mean, yeah. how many times have we seen them, their seasons, and I mean, their victories have been pretty decisive. Like, they beat UConn and Maryland pretty decisively. Ah. Yeah, no, that was the right? point I was going to make. And, that, and, and, that... and they lost their first close game of the tournament. I, 
I mean, this, this, I mean, this season, I think, is basically uh, karma smiling on Bill Self (laughs) after years of NCAA tournament frustration. And maybe, like you said, 2012 was a little bit of an anomaly. 2008, obviously, they won the title. But this team has had a ton of bad luck in, uh, in close games in the tournament. And you look at Davidson in 2008, I mean, they're another three away from changing the, I mean, the narrative of Bill Self's entire career changes if that three goes in. I'm not trying to get too off track here. I'm just saying maybe KU, if you believe in Mojo, uh, Mojo and if you believe in Juju, and if you believe in Juju all of that, on that other, beat. Yeah, okay. If you believe in all that stuff, then maybe KU's in, in for some good karma for this tournament. Yeah, no, I, I think, too, you mentioned the close game karma. Also, the injury karma. You know, Yudoka Azubuki goes down this season. That's obviously, you know, something that a player who obviously could have helped them, you know, come Big 12 play and maybe even beyond that. But, you know, you think about how some of their tournament runs have ended. You know, Perry Ellis is not himself in the tournament. Frank Mason is playing banged up in the tournament. Joel Embiid gets injured going into the tournament. Can you uh, – I'm not going to call them – don't get me wrong. I'm the, this is certainly not making excuses for like losses to Stanford or things like that. The games that they definitely should have won regardless. But I think you might have something there with the, the karma eventually just just kind of smiling on them. It's funny. The narrative of this season, though, will be shaped. Can you imagine if they become, say, the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed? The narrative is instantly, oh, this was the team that flirted with danger all year. You knew this was coming. Yet if they go to the national championship, then it's, oh, battle tested all year. This team used to play in close games. They know what they're doing. So I, I'm fully prepared for whatever narrative to come out of. Of whenever they lose and and that to be that that to be enjoyable for about two yeah. weeks now you mentioned Udoka. i will say i think we've had this conversation mm-hmm. off air before i think i don't think that if the jayhawks had Udoka as a bookie right now their record would be any better than 27 and 3 totally but, agree but i do think he would have eventually been replaced by landon lucas i think that we were on track to see that and i do think him coming off the bench as a true five Bragg maybe coming in as a four only exclusively mm-hmm. would have been a much better. It just would have been much more flexibility for Bill Self. I agreed, and and I think you you touched on it because you kind of you you brought up a good point I hadn't really considered, which is I, I've kind of talked about and I've talked about this in a couple different radio spots that that you know if there's a silver lining, you, obviously you don't want to see a guy get injured, but to the Udoka Zabuki injury is it it really did force Bill Self to go. He he was already pretty far you know in on the four guard, but but all in you know you can't play Udoka and Carlton together, you can't play Udoka and Landon together. Now all of a sudden you really can't you you really have to go all in on that four big thing and so I, I think or four guard thing so I think there is there was kind of a silver lining in that but but you're right to make the point too that you know when when Landon Lucas is out of the game it's just it's when Dwight Colby plays well, that's fine and well, but it's all matchup based. It's been more often than not, you know, pretty much an unmitigated disaster. You saw, you know, Bragg had arguably his worst game of the season last game, and it's just KU can't afford. You mentioned it, I think, last podcast even, but KU can't afford to be without Landon Lucas for big stretches, and maybe Yudoka Azubuki could have helped that at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, switching gears just a little bit, I want to talk about LeGerald Vick. He had two threes, like I mentioned. They had, I think they had five threes in that 10 for 10 stretch, which is just, I mean, that's to me, they, they need to be printing t-shirts about that stretch. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it's Kansas. Maybe they don't do that. But oh. LeGerald Vick had 11 points. He went four for six. He went three for three from three. He had four rebounds and uh, in 22 minutes. And he actually played more minutes than Sfi, who also came off the bench. 
Svi Mikhailuk went one for four from the field, 0 for two from three. He had two points, and he didn't get a, a, any other stats other than one turnover and two fouls. So I got to ask you this. I think we both agree on this statement. I think LeGerald Vick is outplaying Svi Mikhailuk right now. Would you agree at this point in the season? Completely disagree. No, of course, of course, I agree with you. Okay, but I I think you and I might also agree on this point. But I want to get your thoughts on it first. Mm -hmm. Do you think LeGerald Vick at this point, going into the Oklahoma State game at five o'clock on Saturday, the season finale in Stillwater, do you think he should replace Sfi in the starting lineup? See, I we kind of talked about this, but I I personally do not think he should. If you look at it, he's played more minutes than Sfi anyways in the last few games and uh, more or close in in certainly the last God knows how many, but I I think there is something to, we kind of talked about this off air. Sfi Mikhailuk's not a bad player. He's going through a bad stretch right now. So that's, you know, caused some people to be a little bit harsh with him, especially like on Twitter and things like that. But there there is harsh on Twitter. (laughs) What? <laughs> well, but no, there there is some benefit to be able to to bring, you know, as we talked about, a guy off your bench for some punch. Vic's going to be on the court the way it's going right now at the end of the game. So you don't have to worry about that in the crucial moments. And, you know, it, it really doesn't matter otherwise than that. Then, you know, if you have four starters in and, and Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Landon Lucas, and Josh Jackson, you, you don't need all five of your guys to start right off the bat, especially because if those are your five guys and then you have to go to your bench, you're significantly downgrading wherever you sub in, whether it's Carlton Bragg, whether right now, it's not always this way and it's not always going to be this way. But, you know, whether it's putting in Svi for a Vic or a Graham or, you know, Mason or Jackson or Fouch, or, you know, you never know what happens. So I think you need to keep Vic on the bench to start start games just because of that punch he provides. At the same time, I agree he's on an uptick, and I think you should con- continue to see a few more minutes in Svi each game. Although I will say this, um, and, and I really do believe this, and, and in addition to answering kind of the, the bench question, I'd feel free to address this too. I think KU needs Svi to go on a run in March. Yeah. No, and I, I, I will say this too. If, they're, if they need a three at the end of a game to tie it kind of like we saw with Iowa state in overtime. I still feel like the, I, I, I know the numbers don't bear it out. I know Svi is shooting worse than I think Graham Mason Jackson and, and maybe even Vic and, and big 12 plan from three. I might be wrong on that. I still almost feel like it's almost like a Brandon green situation where I'm saying, put the ball in his hands anyway. Well, I mean, he's made so many of them over the years that I just feel like, you know, play to his career percentages and not his recent recent percentages I, I know the ball would probably go to frank's hands and i know we're probably in it maybe if it's a three Devontes, but uh, i know we're talking hypotheticals now you had something you wanted to say yeah well you're kind you're kind of like dead on i think with what bill self probably thinks just in terms of you know frank mason Devontae graham are going to be the guys you take away in that late game situation you mentioned iowa state well what did they run it was a variation of chop where i believe frank mason hands it off to graham who what does he do passes it right back to Svi, who's open, because you can't guard everyone perfectly, so a lot of times it is going to be that third guy who's open. And if your third guy is a guy who's basically a, you know, he's shooting, I think, 39% from three this year and, like, 44% last year, something like that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if if that's the third option and, you know, he's going to take your open shot, I I think you live with that one versus, you know, Frank Mace is a great shooter. He's shooting 50% from three, career above 40% from three. He He's remarkable. Don't get me wrong. But if you ask me, Svi gets three feet of separation versus Frank Mason has a guy right, you know, hand in his face, bodying him up, then mm-hmm. give me the open shooter every time. Yeah. And and 
the three is Fee's bread and butter. I mean, if you if you can't rely on him to do something like that in a close in an important situation, then really his worth is really minimized to the team. I'm going to go ahead and echo what you said, but I think for a little bit of a different reason. I wouldn't bring Vic into the starting lineup. And I, I think after the Baylor game, you, you wrote a story for Hawksland.com where you got a chance to talk to him in the hallway. And I know he said one of his goals was to reenter the starting lineup. Uh, I believe that's – did I get that right? More or less. He said he wanted to get back in the starting lineups. He he understood that it's up to the coaches and and certainly like he wasn't going to complain about it. But at the same time, he said, you know, he would like to. He was, again, asked that. So, again, I don't want to give off the impression that he unprompted no. was saying that. And, but he, And I he just was said definitely. it was a goal. Yeah. I mean, no, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I don't think he was saying anything derogatory about Sphere or anything like that. You know, it's 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 always been coach speak from self this year, I think, to say that he he views it like he has seven starters because he has seven guys that have all started at one point or another. And then you have Yudoka who's injured, which makes eight. I, I would I would not put Vic in the starting lineup simply because I think at this point in the season, you don't want to rock the boat too much. This team is 15 and two in Big 12 play. They also have a win against Kentucky in that stretch. I think things are going pretty well for them from a record standpoint, and I just wouldn't screw that up right now. I, 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 I think the difference, like you said, it's negligible. As Vic is, if Vic finishes the game with more minutes than Sfi, then what in the hell does it really matter? And <laughs> I, I want to ask you this though. Yeah. From I just I want to understand more the logic of the sixth man because I'm not really an NBA guy. I'm not really a, a huge uh, NBA fan, but you see some guys get six man of the year, you know, I think Jamal Crawford, guys like that, James Harden at one point, Mm -hmm. that you look at them and their stats and you think they should be starting. What's the benefit to a team kind of from a a basketball just brainiac like you, I guess? What's what's the benefit of a team to have (laughs) one of their better players at that point in time come off the bench? Well, you can't see. We're doing a Skype call now, you all listening, but Matt just rolled his eyes so hard as he said uh, brainiacs there. No, I'm kidding. We can't see each other. I'm just imagining. throat. Motion right now. <laughs> Just imagine that visual. Uh, well, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, one, it's a change of pace. You bring that score off the bench when things aren't going well. You look at a team like the Warriors last year, not comparing them to anything, because uh, that's the greatest, you know, regular season team in the history of basketball. But uh, they they had two guys in Azili and Iguodala that a lot of the time Steve Kerr's, you know, big coaching change would be put them in the game or go to the small lineup or things like that. So it's a, it's a change of pace. And also kind of like I mentioned, if you have four great players on the floor to start a game, you don't need a fifth. So, you know, why would you waste his energy? You, you can't only, there's only one basketball. Why would you waste, you know, that player's energy when then you have to sub a couple of them out and all of a sudden you have, you know, you, you haven't staggered properly. You don't have guys in what you see from a lot of teams that don't even use a six man is, you know, one of their players will go to the bench early. The Cavs have done this a little bit with LeBron, not comparing again, but he would come out of the game early so that he could come back into the game with the bench unit. So he's not, he, he's, he's, it's like weird. It's not quite your sixth man, but he's like your anti-starter. So yeah. I think that's just the benefit is, is, is change of pace, mixing it up and understanding that you don't need your five best players on the floor a hundred percent of the time. Cause you'll, you'll wear them all out. And I like what you said about staggering If this team were 10 deep, like West Virginia or something to that effect, you bring out all your starters and you bring in five replacements, maybe let's say hypothetically to give your, your starters a rest. Well, then you have basically you've downgraded at every single position. Let, let's so, do the let's do the bench lineup, the bench five here. That would be right now, uh, Bragg. It would be Vic. It would be um, Lightfoot. 
right? Like uh, maybe Colby, we go three big. And and Azabuki in a cast. <laughs> yeah, or Ty- Tyler herself. Tyler. Why don't we start Tyler? I mean, you said the fifth guy doesn't really matter. Let's go <laughs> ahead. And let's go. let's keep that going. KU's one and zero in game started by Tyler Self. Hey, Tyler Self is a perfect Self, winning he's, percentage. He's a starting guard for the number one team in the country. Who would have thought that? If people want to talk about Frank Mace and his growth to National Player of the Year, that's all fine and well. Tyler Self came to Kansas, uh, you know, and is the starting point guard of the number one team in the country. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, the fans were chanting MVP, but I mean, they weren't exactly saying who they were directing that at. So it yeah, it was very, very well unclear. Could have been Tyler Self. <laughs> Uh, with that in mind, let's transition into the next topic: uh, senior night moments. So, I, I thought it, I I think a couple of my favorite senior night moments. Uh, I guess I'm not jaded to the whole thing yet. Uh, it, I, I I filed my story and I was able to watch it and and uh, enjoy it and kind of get a little bit of a window into uh, these guys. And you know, Frank Mason's a very reserved guy. He doesn't talk about himself very much. He doesn't brag. Uh, so when you when you hear Bill Self say things like. He's the best guard I've ever coached. I mean, he introduced him. He said, ladies and gentlemen, the best guard I've ever coached in the National Player of the Year, Frank Mason. I mean, if you that to me is newsworthy enough to justify the 40 minute, you know, dog and pony show that was senior night <laughs> post game festivities. And I'm not I guess I'm not jaded enough to not like that. I thought it was a very enjoyable occurrence. And I think KU does it about as well as anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Frank, Frank looking up at his son, Amari, and introducing him to the crowd and Amari kind of hiding his his face in the hat, and uh, I know you wrote about this whole uh, situation mm-hmm. and, and Frank's night in general at hawkzone.com. It was a very cool moment, and then they went back to Amari, and he kind of smiled and, and mm-hmm. waved, and it, it was a it was a cool moment. Uh, another cool moment was Frank uh, hitting his last shot at the field house and then checking out. Uh, his emotions got the best of him. I think Bill Self said at one point that. Uh, Frank screwed up because you're supposed to wait till your speech to cry, but he's such an emotional wreck that uh, kind of joking because obviously Frank <laughs> never shows any emotions, but uh, he cried when he was taken out of the game. So, uh, what were your what were some of your favorite senior night moments? Comments from Tyler or Bill Self, Landon Lucas, Frank Mason, anything like that? Well, I, you nailed it with the scene with Amari, and how perfect for Frank Mason to say when his, his son's covering his face, he's shy just like me. I mean, that that was just. That if that moment doesn't just pull you into the scene, then then nothing's going to. Uh, I thought it was awesome. This was pointed out to me by a security guard actually, who was who was you know right next to me courtside. Was that Lon Kruger was watching in the tunnel when Tyler Self was speaking? You know, he did eventually have to leave. Uh, whether or not, I don't know if they flew or took. I assume they took a bus back to to Norman. But you know, he he stayed for as long as he could, just standing there with a big smile watching the speeches. Um, and lastly, I would say Bill Self is is tremendous if you think back to like the ben mclemore year when there were it was really the last time senior day was going to be this meaningful you can talk about last year perry ellis was was great but it but it didn't have like the the total team effect it wasn't like the entire team was leaving that year when ben mclemore started it was four seniors in the starting lineup that that starting lineup was gone because ben mclemore was going pro too and what bill self did you know, he, he preserved the sanctity, if you want to say that, of senior night. He didn't let any non-seniors speak, but he said some words about Ben McLemore, too. And I, I think he did that well, too, um, you know, with Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson's going to be gone, but, you know, giving him a little, you know, you know, kind of messing with him, telling, getting the crowd to chant three more years. I think that's something Bill Self does very well, and it's also a good time for me to bring up that we had a prop bet earlier in the year. Uh, will Josh Jackson get another technical? And I said under 0.5, and you said over. And There's so, still I'm time. Winning. I'm winning that There's one. still time. <laughs> but anyway, that, those were those were the moments that caught me. The long Kruger thing was cool, and 
seeing Frank, kind of in the way we all saw Perry evolve over his time here, just seeing his kind of evolution into to the the performer he was at the end was was pretty remarkable. And I told you I thought he was going to utter a li- another line at the end of his speech, but uh, no, he he hates some, some lyrics, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, no, he hates the attention though. You nailed it. I mean, I always go back to that Duke game where the first thing he says after hitting the game winning shot when he's asked about it is, "My teammates did a good job of spacing the floor." Translation. I can't praise them for anything, but I'm still not going to take credit for winning the game by myself. So, uh, no, that that was quintessential Frank Mason. A lot of great moments. It was a yeah. it was a good senior night. And you mentioned Perry. I think he he hates the attention in a different way than Perry. I think Perry. <laughs> I think Perry is legitimately like uh, a. He doesn't like it because it it's kind of embarrassing to him, maybe, or he's shy. I think Frank just literally wants to give all credit to his teammates and his coaches. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that he's fine with the attention. I think he'd love to be National Player of the Year, but you know he's never going to say that outwardly. He's never going to campaign for himself. And the fact that he's come this far in the National Player of the Year discussion without ever campaigning for himself and having his coach only just now really say that he basically feels he should be the national player of the year really says a lot. Uh, I want to point out just a couple of things that I liked from it. Uh, Bill, after Tyler's speech, just grabbing the mic and saying, that's my son. That was pretty cool. I thought that was funny. Uh, uh, That was funny because it was his son. No, just because, you know, like any time it, it just reminded me of the, the little league dad, like after his son gets a triple saying like, that's my boy, you know? And, uh, so after uh, after well when he was in when self was introducing Landon Lucas he said uh, the bottom line is that dude wouldn't let anybody beat him out so he was talking about I mean he was he didn't use the names but he invoked the ghosts of Cliff Alexander and Sheck Diallo and uh, and the Yudoka Azubuki who was in attendance so um, and and it's true about Landon Lucas I mean he is as fundamentally sound I think as any player that Bill Self has ever had he he rarely screws anything up and, and Bill Self said you know the things that Landon Lucas does to the untrained eye. You, you don't see it, it's something that doesn't show up in a stat book, but it's something that's invaluable to this team. I think this team would have a much, much worse record without Landon Lucas, mm-hmm. not only because they have no depth behind them, but just because uh, he just does so many things that go unappreciated. Lucas, when he grabbed the mic, told a story about kind of his contentious relationship with Bill Self at times, <laughs> how uh, he told him the only time he's ever going to start when he recruited him was on senior night. <laughs> he told him when they were in Korea after he had basically some bad performances, uh, he told him he was going to swim back from Korea and he was like, really, he, he was committed to the joke. Like he really told him to say, you know, get his swim stuff and kind of, uh, get ready to swim back. Uh, his message to KU fans, Lucas's was quote, I know you guys, I know I give you guys a headache sometimes, but you guys have always embraced me. Like you said about Twitter, I'm not so sure that's entirely true. I remember <laughs> earlier in the season after uh, I think the Georgia game or something, he tweeted so much hate or something of that effect. Uh, he's gotten a lot of heat over the years, but we've discussed that. I think it's it's a it's a product of him having to prove himself as a three star guy, as opposed to guys coming in with five mm-hmm. stars and being McDonald's All Americans and MVPs of these McDonald's All American games and just being given the benefit of the doubt of, well, he's in a slump, he's in a funk, he's actually good, as opposed yeah. to a guy like Lucas having to prove himself. Then when it comes to Mason, Self said, quote, we knew he'd be good, but we probably didn't know he'd mean as much to this program as any kid I've ever coached here. I mean, I, I think if there's ever a time to to send somebody's jersey to the rafter before rafters before they even leave, it might have been this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mason, as you pointed out, said, "I swear, if I or if I had the chance to play four more years here, I swear I would." And my last favorite moment from senior night, 
was when uh, Tyler Self, who's been with this team for five years, grew up around Allen Fieldhouse, leaving the postgame interview area, remarked, this is a cool room. <laughs> you know, as he's never been in there before. Yeah. He's never been in the postgame interview room. I mean, I would believe he's been in there before just to, like, come in and snag some Chipotle from or, like, leftover food from the media or something to that effect or eliminate or something. But uh, mm-hmm. that was a nice joke from him. So overall, it was it was a good environment. But, you know, I asked Landon Lucas about this. How different would your speeches have been had you guys actually <laughs> lost? And he said... Man, I wouldn't have even wanted to give a speech had they lost. And Tyler, sitting to his right, was just violently shaking his head no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was that was pretty cool. Well, hold, it, you, mi- you missed one moment. You, you missed one moment, which was when Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World asked the question about the comeback, and he said to any of you guys, and Frank, you know, looked over at Landon for him to talk, and Tyler Self just jumped in and answered, kind of ran with the question. It, it was a funny moment, just because. Uh, you know, again, he, he hasn't been in there. He hasn't been that guy. It was like Evan Manning the year before when he said, you know, first thing, sup, guys. I've never been in here before. And, uh, no, it was just funny. And, you know, it was awesome. I, I've spoken to Tyler a few times over the years. Just, you know, when we, we get as the, the tournament progresses, kind of like it's a different access because for tournament games, you get to go into the locker room and, and talk to all the players. And so, you know, we, we've had the opportunity to talk to guys like Tyler in that setting. And it, it's just been kind of fascinating to – to see his development and, and his perspective on things because he does have a different view, not only as a walk-on, but as a guy who son of the coach and who's been in Lawrence as Bill self mentioned for so long. So, uh, no, I thought, I thought it was fascinating and, and it was an, it, it was, uh, it was a fitting end. I thought just, just the way the presser went and that last line by Tyler self, I thought it was a fitting end to the day. It would have been, it, it was. And, and given what self said about the importance of Frank Mason, to have lost that game to last place Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were asked the question, you know, this game didn't mean anything to you guys. What does it say about the resiliency to come back? I think this was one of the most important games of the year for this entire team, and I think it showed at times. I think this team viewed this game as a game that they could not lose because the embarrassment of losing on senior night to the conference's uh, cellar-dweller would have been something that would have just been stuck in the back of their mind, I think, for the rest of the year. No matter what they did in the tournament, I just think it's something that would have been a real uh, black eye on an otherwise stellar year. Yeah, well, they played tight, and, and it showed, you know, self-talked about, you know, Josh kind of playing like he thought it was his senior day and, and you know, Frank not being himself in the first half. So they, they definitely played tight. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot in what you just said. Yeah. Self, for the record, said it was uh, one of Josh's, like, one or two worst games since coming to KU, even though he finished with a double-double, I think 11 rebounds and 12 po- or 10 points, maybe the other way around. And uh, on Hawk Talk, actually, with Brian Haney on uh, on Tuesday night, Bill Self said it was the worst performance as a whole that the team has had in months. So uh, good momentum building into the postseason. But, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the Oklahoma State game and kind of what to look for going in just a second. I want to touch on a couple more quick topics, though, before we get out of here. KU is the new number one team in the country. Villanova and Gonzaga lost just really getting close to that number one overall seed in the tournament. They're about a week away from having it really just solidly in their hands and and really not needing to do much in the Big 12 tournament to hold on to that. Landon Lucas said it was actually a motivating factor in in Monday's game to kind of make sure that they stayed the number one ranked team. And I think Tyler Self said that it's something that they want to hold on to for the rest of the year, obviously. Mm -hmm. But do you think a team just, this is kind of just, oddball question but in general do you think a team should want to be number one going into the ncaa tournament or do you think that there's some benefit to maybe being a two i i'll tell you this much do you know what the best time to be number one is 
preseason? No, no, at the end of the year, right? No, 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 no. Well, okay, I asked that question horribly and set up my own point terribly, so I'll just answer my own question. I I don't know, Scott. When is it? Well, Scott, that's that's a great question. I don't know, Scott. When is it? (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Thanks for setting me up there. Um, it's when the the one time that I think it's good for a team to be number one is when they're number one in like one poll and like two in the other, and the team they're playing is the one that's one in the other poll so that Has they that can kind of happened. Yeah. Well, KU Oklahoma last year, basically that's, that's the one good time I think it's ever happened to be number one, just because you obviously want to be the best team in the nation, but there is some type of intangible, whatever. I mean, Baylor gets the first number one ranking in program history. And what do they do? They have the worst loss in the history of number ones for a debut, a debut at number one. So there is some type of, you know, intangible pressure and it's hard without the chip on your shoulder of saying, you know, at least someone is disrespecting us. I think, they didn't get like five votes to be number one so you know last year that was a theme you know they played that game against maryland and you know people wanted to kind of mock the idea that kansas took an us against the world mentality but if you listen to a lot of the analysts especially on the bracket show which you know the players were listening to and which they referenced several times they were saying all the nba talent is on maryland all this so that even provided a number one team looking for motivation you know the ability to find it so i think it's just harder to to not play motivated, but it's harder to, to develop a chip on your shoulder when, you know, everyone else is extolling your greatness. So that's, that's may, maybe I'm making too much of that, but I, I don't know. It seems hard for teams to protect that number one ranking. It seems like they move up a lot easier. And then when they get there, they fall down pretty quick. Right. And Gonzaga was able to hold on to it for quite a while this year, but in their season finale, they somehow lost to a pretty mediocre BYU team, a team that I don't think is projected to make the tournament. So I think they lost that game at home. So a very shocking mm-hmm. loss for Gonzaga. And I think it just goes to, again, show you that they're, you know, whether or not I've seen, I've seen some KU fans say that KU is not the number one team in the country this year, which is fine. And maybe you can think that they're not the most talented team in the country or the team with at least the least amount of flaws. But I don't think there is a truly great team in the in college basketball this year. I think you look at last year, I think Villanova, North Carolina, and KU were all great teams. I really felt that way at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're entering the turn. I mean, even North Carolina just lost to a, a pretty slumping Virginia team, I think, at home. Maybe it was on the road. Uh, so I think that we're entering a very odd tournament this year where, you know, it's cliche to say, but the bubble is very weak and the top – I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. no elites. So I think that maybe it's not such a bad thing that KU is the number one overall team. And no matter what happens in the tournament, if you're the number one overall seed in the tournament, you can always hang your hat on that. You can mm-hmm. always say, you know, the tournament selection committee viewed us as having the best regular season. Uh, I know I think they give out the President's Trophy in the NHL. <laughs> Maybe they need some kind of equivalent in the... In, the Supporter in the Shield process. in MLS. We'll shout there out our soccer friends. Yeah. So I, don't I don't know think they still do that. I'm not sure that they're... Maybe it depends on the situation. But I think yeah. going into the tournament, knowing that the road to the Final Four and the National Championship goes through you, I think that's got to be a pretty uplifting thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I just... It'll be interesting to see seeding too. It, we're all starting to get into that time where bracketology rackets up and the ratchets up and, and things like that. So it, this will it, March. March is going to be really fun. And speaking of which, I would like to officially be the first uh, to welcome you to March because it is March. Hashtag this is March. This Steal is March. A line from our our pal Mike Vernon. Hashtag this is March. Hashtag. Um, Did he come all, up? Is he the first? I well, he's he's the biggest uh, advocate for it, and and also hashtag. Rent is due today, 
So keep that in mind, everybody. Oh, oh, my rent is due. That is such a good reminder. Yes, that, that's <laughs> that... what I am here for. Oh my, my goodness! Seriously, thank you for that. Actually, well, uh, like we mentioned earlier, KU <laughs> finishes their regular season with a 5 p.m. Saturday game against Oklahoma State in Stillwater, a place, a location that's really given them a lot of fits over the years. Uh, ever since Bill Self really came to KU, it's uh, they've always had better teams than Oklahoma State, it seems, but it seems like playing down in Stillwater has always been a major challenge. Frank Mason, I mean, really, there's not much he could, unless he plays one minute in this game, I'm pretty sure it's a, <laughs> it's a lock that he's going to break the uh, minutes per game record for KU. He's at 36.1 right now, minutes per game, a full minute higher than Sharon Collins' record. Devontae Graham actually is at 35.1 himself. What do you think the Jayhawks' approach should be to this game versus Oklahoma State? Is there something to be said for, you know, if you don't give them your best shot necessarily, if you try some different things, if you just kind of go through some, some you know, sets and some offense that you want to look at and maybe press a little bit more, see kind of what that is, what, what, if that's really a weapon you can handle into the tournament, and you lose and you say, well, yeah, we lost, but we weren't really, you know, giving it our all. Is that kind of a situation that might be beneficial to the Jayhawks as opposed to going all out and still losing at Oklahoma State and entering the Big 12 tournament with a little bit of bad mojo. And I say this all with the caveat of knowing Bill Self is the most competitive man on the planet. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to play Frank Mason 40 minutes in this game. Well, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure you do anything other than you play this thing like a normal game just because, I mean, they're, they're going to get another five days off or whatever it is until, you know, they have to play in the Big 12 tournament. And, you know, odds are they're going to be playing a team that's not as good as Oklahoma State. I think it's kind of underrated that uh, before they lost, I think they lost you know, today is Tuesday or it's now Wednesday, but you know, they lost Tuesday to Iowa state. It was a game. It was a one point game with, with like 15 seconds left or caught just a little bit of that one. But I, I, you know, this Oklahoma state team's a very good team was 10 and one in its last 11 before that loss to a ranked Iowa state team on the road. So uh, I think this is a game that they may take this one a little bit more seriously, even than the next game. But I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see if they experiment, if they try new things. I think it's more about just kind of shoring up what you have. I know it's been kind of a hot topic on KU Twitter, especially about, you know, should they rest these guys or these, you know, is the rest in practice, which Bill Self has said he's doing more of this year. Is that enough? You know, I, I certainly don't have any answer that, you know, Bill Self or anyone else would, they, they'd obviously be the obviously guys self to, to is, know. Obviously Self is around the team more than mm-hmm. anybody, but yeah, would you agree at least that it seems that offensively their legs aren't as under them right now as they, as they were maybe three or four weeks ago. Yeah, but I I think there could even be other reasons for that, especially once they locked up the big 12 and you know, there really isn't that much to play for at that point. I, I, I'm not sure. And, also, we don't know how much, you know, if, if anything's changed with the coaches. Maybe this is them trying new things and just no one has noticed. So I I, I think you go out to win the, the game against Oklahoma State just because then the Big 12 tournament effectively is meaningless. You can lose that first game and you're still going to be, you know, either the first or the second number one seed and it, it won't make a difference. Yeah, I still think if they lose their next two games before the tournament, they're going to be a one seed in the Midwest and they're mm-hmm. still going to get the, the route that they prefer just because of the way the other one seeds are panning out. I'm not sure what the right answer is. I mean, it would be another quality win for KU. It would really be an opportunity to test themselves against a sharpshooting three-point team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I fully expect them to play this game as they have the first, you know, thirty plus or whatever thirty games that they've played this year. 
I, I fully expect it to look exactly the same. I don't expect to see a bunch of minutes pullbacks unless they have some somehow a huge lead, which I don't foresee. Mm-hmm. I do think if we're making predictions here, I think Oklahoma State's probably going to win this game. I think it's just they have so much more to play for. Mm-hmm. I think Oklahoma State at this point is a lock to make the tournament. Agreed. I think the Big 12 is going to get five and no more. But yeah, it, it just could it just could be interesting too that this could be the year the you know the Big Twelve doesn't get a lot of teams in. But you know you think about the teams they do get in. Baylor, when healthy, will cause problems for people. West Virginia is kind of gimmicky, can cause problems for people with the right matchups. Iowa State, it, it's kind of under the radar. Maybe it's not because they were predicted to be you know projected to be pretty good at the beginning of the year. That you know. They're alone in second place in the Big 12 right now, and they may finish there, which is just kind of fascinating. And I think Oklahoma State, I, I've said this for – I said this when they were 0-6 in the Big 12, and, and you certainly know this because I've nagged you about this forever, that they were the best 0-6 conference team in the country, and lo and behold, they're 9-8 and now. So I guess that's 9-2. and two. I, I have no idea. I'm not going to do – I'm not a math guy. Um, certainly not at one nineteen in the morning. But I, I, it'll be funny Don't to expose see. the business. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it could be funny to see that, you know, you could be very well be right. Bubble's a little bit down, but the Big 12 could only get five, maybe six teams in the tournament. Yet these could be teams set up for, for some pretty good success, especially in a year where, like you mentioned, you know, there are 10 or 12 teams that could legitimately, you know, you you could make a case for them to be a Final Four team. And it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. So, like I said, I do think KU won't change anything against Oklahoma State. I think that they will maybe lose this game. I'm going to probably say it'll be a close game that Oklahoma state will win by two. I also have to say our last podcast, I got the KU Baylor score right within a single. point. You never gave me any credit online. You just said I got that right within a single point, which is like saying I was wrong, but I I was right. No, I, (laughs) I picked the score within a single point. Don't this isn't, this isn't soccer. That's impressive. What I did. So, <laughs> and I, I, on our trip back, I told you, I'm going to pull over the car so you can get some signal and tweet out some, some dap <laughs> to your boss for making this epic yeah. prediction. Hey, I shouted you out on the radio, which is just as good. So all the listener, I'm singular that, you know, tuned in to hear me again, listener singular heard, you know, how great Matt Galloway is for getting something wrong, but you know, he was almost right. So we're throwing him a bone. Well, I'm just going to move on, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to ask you for the last topic. You mentioned it was your senior night too. It was a a very cool night for you. It was the last game that you'll cover at Allen Fieldhouse as a KU student. Um, I want to know what are your favorite Allen Fieldhouse memories from games that you've been in attendance for, whether it be as a fan or as a media member. And I want to know your top three Allen Fieldhouse games that you witnessed. Okay, um, one and two are are pretty simple and they weren't the best games maybe but the uh, I'll give you the best atmospheres that's probably just the best way to do it number one uh, this will forever be probably my favorite sports memory in my mind it was uh, the return game of KU TCU um, after TCU beat Kansas just because TCU was walking into a hornet's nest that night everyone knew what was going to happen uh, it was 38 to 9 at the half Ben McLemore was outscoring TCU by himself 
And uh, just to hear the crowd, how fired up they were for a game against, you know, lowly TCU, this horrible team. You know, Trent Johnson, the coach of TCU at the time, had to call timeout less than a minute into the game. And I think he used multiple timeouts in the first half. Uh, This was a game that was over when the first basket of the game was scored. So I I just thought that atmosphere was was incredible. And uh, I think number two, I mean, you could have filed your gamer then. Uh, Number two, the angriest I've ever heard Allen Fieldhouse was the return match of Marcus Smart after Marcus Smart beat Kansas and backflipped on the floor. Which I was at that game, by the way. I've seen a few few losses in Allen Fieldhouse or a couple, but... Uh, that w- that was the angriest I've ever heard Allen Fieldhouse. You know, when Marcus Smart flopped on Wayne Seldon, that elbow, and, and they called the flagrant foul, and they review it, and they upheld it. Uh, Wayne Seldon's elbow did not come close to Marcus Smart's face. It was a ridiculous flop. Everyone knew it was a flop. Um, but, he, you know, all of a sudden this game, they go on a huge run, basically spurred by this flop that drew a, fr- a flagrant. And all of a sudden it's down to the final shot, which Frank Mason, who was – a freshman or a sophomore at the time, I think he was a freshman, rips the ball away from Marcus Smart on a three-point attempt uh, to win the game. That was that was a pretty remarkable one. And, you know, uh, I would have to say either the comebacks have been pretty awesome to witness, but I, I would say there was a different energy with the Kentucky game last year. The OU triple overtime game was, was historic. I'll never forget covering that game. It was absolutely, it was remarkable, incredible. But there was just this different kind of energy with Kentucky that it was weird. It didn't feel like Allen Fieldhouse to me. It, it kind of felt like a different venue, not in a bad way. It was, it was juiced. It was loud. It was energetic. It was just so different and, and so much, you know, emphasis on the history and things like that. So those were my three kind of, interesting crowd experiences at Allen Fieldhouse. But, I mean, you think about the two West Virginia comebacks. There's so many games you could choose from. It's just uh, OU triple overtime. It's been uh, it's been an adventure. What's your, what's your favorite? Well, I've only been on the beat for a, just over a year here. But uh, I, I have to say that, you know, I, I don't really have favorite moments. I just have really moments where my jaw kind of hit the floor. I would say <laughs> 18 threes, I think it was, from Iowa State. Uh, I think pretty much all of them coming in the second half and overtime that, that to me was an incredible performance. The comeback against West Virginia, having to move my game story to the recycling bin uh, and just delete everything. That was, that was an interesting one. I, I I would say that if the comeback against West Virginia state were less workman like and more, I guess just sexy, like kind of just a whole bunch of threes, kind of something like that, then it would have, and maybe less on West Virginia blowing it. That would have a higher, a higher mark for me. And uh, I also have to say, I really think that this game against Oklahoma, the 10 for 10 streak with five threes, I mean, how often are you ever going to see that? I, I, I wrote about it a lot uh, for my game story, obviously. I kind of shied away from a lot of other things. But to me, I don't, I mean, how, how rare is that to, to see something like that from a team and, and, and just to see Oklahoma just completely fall all over itself, just trying to get the ball in bounds. I have to give a shout-out to Tom Keegan of the uh, Lawrence Journal World, who I was sitting next to during this game. He said at halftime, you know what I would do if, this, if I were you know, coaching K, KU? I would you know, immediately start a full-court press to start the second half. And Bill Self said after the game, kind of unprompted, I wish we could do that more, but just the minutes don't really uh, you know, make it possible. But KU looks awfully good with a full-court press, and I think that that's something that uh, – and not just even – a full court press, but just, you know, trapping and, and, and inbound pass defense. And just when they really turn up the defensive intensity, I think this team really shows what it's capable of. I think the, the uh, depth though, kind of affects that. Like we, we've yeah. talked about a million times, but mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of my answer. I, I would say right now, just that, that stretch of 10 for 10 
to me is just one of the more incredible things I've ever mm-hmm. seen at a sporting event. No, I, I that was certainly something. Just you, you kind of just touched on a point. In just a quick tangent. I'll, I'll be quick because I know we're going kind of long here. But I, I just thought another thing too with the tournament coming up. It's it's such a different style because you know the TV timeouts and the media timeouts are longer and things like that. It will be interesting to see if KU presses more because quite frankly they'll be able to afford to. You see teams with less depth do well in the tournament. That's because the breaks are longer. They can catch their breath. You know, sitting on the bench for a minute when a game is going on is the exact same sitting on the bench for a minute when the game is in you know commercial and you're you know you have to cover up all your Dasani logos because the NCAA <laughs> will take them for you uh by Dasani by the way I, I love Dasani great products they don't I'm even drinking one right now I'm uh, drinking one right now literally I, I'm I'm drinking Gatorade which is the opposite of Powerade I think so uh buy both of those fine products so when the NCAA tells you not to um you know whatever but no I, I think that does make a difference it gives you a chance to press more it gives you a chance to play Frank Mason 40 minutes and really not have to worry about his his you know is he getting tired no he's had those extra breaks on the bench so it, it'll be interesting the coaches and players have talked about that a lot I'm skeptical that it makes that much of a difference but at the same time I'm not the athlete playing in these games I am the very short man sitting writing some words on a keyboard and hoping his broken o key doesn't come back to bite him so uh, you know you just kind of have to, to trust what the people who know are saying on that one and you know if they say it gives you the chance to get out and press more then you know, look out, all of a sudden, KU maybe becomes a little bit of a different team in the tournament. Have, uh, we have to, I, at the end of this season, I'm going to get you a golden Oki to replace on your keyboard of your laptop. Have you told that story on air about why I, you have a broken Oki on your laptop and why I can't ever use your laptop for anything? <laughs> because every time I have to use the word why, O. You, you type like a pterodactyl? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I have to type a word like food, for instance... <laughs> My finger, my 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 ring finger gets stuck in your freaking <laughs> keyboard, and I feel like I'm going to get electrocuted. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah. I am no, so paranoid about that. I've turned off my keyboard lights, so that's okay. funny. Every time I'm typing on your keyboard and I have to hit O, it's like when you're walking downstairs and you think there's like an extra step there, but there isn't, and you just fall forward. That's what I feel like every time I have to use your keyboard, and you're an insane person. You know what I tell people? I tell people that I have to copy and paste to use O's just because they're bad. They're like, oh my god. And I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. It it works. There's just the keys missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, signs of a sociopath. (laughs) Scott? Is there anything you want to say here before I continue to besmirch your your reputation in front of all of our fine listeners? Uh, no, I really, really don't have anything else. I think uh, I think this pretty much covers it. It was a game. It was honestly when the first half ended. I, I always do kind of like a mental look back at my notes and like you know what do I think about this first half? I didn't have much written, hardly anything, and. I still don't think much of anything about the first half. It was just so forgettable until it wasn't, and it wasn't when Oklahoma first extended the lead. I thought I thought this game was fascinating. It was so unlike many others because you know things were going bad, but not in a like a memorable way, other than the fact that you know teams weren't shooting well. So, kind of a weird game to podcast about, but you know we did whatever, however long on it anyway. So that's that's kind of what I got. I think it's a very underrated game. I will say I agree with you on the first half. I I tweeted uh, at halftime if. You can follow me on Twitter at the Matt Galloway, and you can follow Don't. Scott. Or actually, you can't follow Scott. Actually, he's gonna. I'm gonna make him delete. You his can't account, follow so. me at S Chase and CJ. You cannot yes, you follow. You can. Me. I refuse to allow you to do that um, because I have more followers than Matt at the moment. He's gaining. Okay, 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 buddy. Big time. Hey, Chasing. Big time, and- Scott Chasing. I need. Time, I need. Scott, okay. You're you chasing those. You're chasing those followers. How many of those I, have you bought? 
what what do we call the chasing crew? We, the chasing crew, chasing crew. We need to we need to get that you know get get that number up. I'm, I think I'm one away from 2,500, so we can we can send you know the Galloway team back to second place where it belongs. Well, that's going to just about do it for this week's <laughs> edition of the Hawk Zone Podcast. For Scott Chasen, this is Matt Galloway saying we will talk to you next week.